This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of the National Model Railroad Association. With almost 10,000 prototype photos and drawings online, we make it even more fun. Hey everyone, we're back. Welcome to the Model Railway Show. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. That's right. After a three-month summer hiatus, Trevor and I are fully rejuvenated and have a slew of interesting guests in tow. We hope you had a great summer. A little later on, Jim and I will chat a little about how we wasted the past three months. But right now, let's get down to business with Sam Posey, a man whose name will be familiar to many, both inside and outside of model railroading. Sam Posey's Model Railroad, the Colorado Midland, has been featured twice in Model Railroader magazine. But like so many of the better modelers in this hobby, Sam possesses talent in multiple layers. He's an accomplished artist with his own studio. His paintings can be seen in some of the finest modern art galleries, including the Tate in London. He's an architectural and furniture designer. He's a now retired but notable auto racer with, among other things, a fifth place finish at the Indy 500 and an outright win in the 12 Hours of Sebring. He's an Emmy Award-winning sports commentator and currently does Posey's Perspective, the Formula One race analyses for Speed Channel. As a columnist, his byline has appeared in a variety of named publications. He's an author, having written the motor racing book, The Mudge Pond Express. And some years back, he wrote a book called Playing with Trains, A Passion Beyond Scale. It's a charming and revealing look at the hobby and his personal voyage of discovery. And as you're hearing this, Sam is starting a new layout. Sam Posey, welcome to the Model Railway Show. This is a real pleasure for me. Oh, this is terrific. I love to talk about the railroads. I miss that action that I had just when the book was published. You kind of live out in the country. Are you away from the model railroading community, or can you get together with like-minded individuals from time to time? No, no, I'm definitely a lone real wolf out here. <laughs> well, you shared your model railroad experiences with playing with trains. Is that book still available? As far as I know, Random House brought out the original edition, the hardcover, and then they brought out a paperback, which had photographs in it, which I really liked. And you can even get it, if you hunt around a little bit on the web, you can get it with large print, which, oh. having grown absolutely blind while doing the railroad, I rather favor. Well, it was a delightful reread for me this summer. I, w- I was taken with your ability, to Sam, to climb outside the comfortable sphere of knowledge that most experienced model railroaders live in, and you were able to look at the hobby as a newbie. How did you come up with the idea for this approach? Well, you know, I didn't really come up with it. It's not an idea, per se. I was not really a model railroader, and I'm never really been one. I, I'm somebody that built a model, uh, more or less along the lines of an artist's uh, project. I never really honestly identified with the model railroaders. I never knew as much as I should about the railroads themselves. I did study the Colorado Midland fairly extensively, but for example, I don't know the difference between a, a consolidated and a, you know what I mean? I yeah, just have never yeah. been really close to the hobby, and I have such respect for those that are that I don't want to pretend that I am knowledgeable in that way. But you're an artist, and this is one of the media in which you work, correct? That's exactly it, Jim. You, you nailed it down, and it was a project, and you, you might wonder what has happened to it. It's still in the basement, ready to run at any time, um, in good shape. And people come from time to time and visit it, and I'm very proud to run it for them. But it's mostly a, a piece of art, really. I think a lot of people in this hobby are challenged when it comes to trying to explain it to the outsiders, especially when it comes to trying to make them see what we've created is an art form, not a toy. I wonder if you've had those sort of experiences in your basement at any time. I've spent my life trying to make automobile racing make sense to people. 
<laughs> and, uh, so making model railroading make sense was easy. I, I just found that it was writing about my experiences without any particular inflection or thought about it. I just wrote out straight what happened when I built the thing. I think it's a, it is a little bit of a love story with my son. He and I worked on it together, and I think my desire to finish it and to do a good job with it has a lot to do with proving something to him that old dad could follow through on a project. Well, John must have grown some since your book was first published. So as I read your book, I think he was, it was what, uh, mid-teens, pre-teens? Yeah. Where, yeah. where is he now? He's 30. Unbelievable. Yeah. Is he building something for his son? No, no, he isn't even married. Oh, um, okay. So that's a little bit away. But, you know, I have a feeling that he will someday. I really do. Okay. I think it's contagious. Race cars keep entering this discussion, Sam. You've made some interesting comparisons between operating model trains and driving race cars. To me, heroes drive race cars and, and nerds operate model trains. How, how do you make the uh, connection? How do you connect the tissue between those two? Because it sounds like a bit of a stretch. It's a matter of control. You know, the thrill that you get when you first put that locomotive on the tracks and go to the um, controller and make it accelerate away and back up and do things, go through switches and turnouts and everything. I love that aspect of control with very little effort. And racing has that same thing. You sit down in the car and you basically do very little you move your arms a little bit and you move your feet a little bit, but out of that comes a 200-mile-an-hour beast that you're controlling at a very high speed, and um, I find the, the things to be very similar. Mm. I guess a good day at the track is when the car feels like it's on rails. <laughs> right? I never thought of that. That's very good. <laughs> I, I won't ask how many times you left the pike. Uh, tell us a bit about your beginnings in the hobby. You, you had a somewhat unique start in that your mother was the driving force behind your passion for trains, correct? Well, yeah. Is that is, My mother was the driving force behind a lot of things because my dad was killed in uh, World War II, and she sort of took on the role of dad as well as mom. She was a little bit of a tomboy anyway, so I think it came naturally to her. But, yeah, she organized all my early layouts and got carpenters to build the uh, the platforms on which they sat and so forth. She loved it, though. She got a real kick out of the whole thing herself. I hope the people that are listening to this right now, Sam, have uh, seen your articles in Model Railroader because uh, your scenic work is really quite outstanding. In the book, you yourself are quite honest in admitting you hire out for help on aspects of the layout building you don't enjoy or felt were beyond your expertise. And we've touched on this on the show before. As busy people these days have heavier constraints on their time, do you think this is a strategy for layout building would be gaining greater acceptance? Yeah, I think so. Now you get back out of something what you put into it. And uh, I would I wish I had been able to do more, uh, but I just was incapable of doing the wiring. And Rolf Snyder, who was so good, became a great friend. Well, we were friends to begin with, but uh, our friendship deepened over the years that we worked together, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that, you know, if you have the whole railroad built for you and you just write a check, I think you're missing something that you should get out of a railroad, which is the personal pride in having done it. To me, that's a big part of it. That's more important than operating the railroad, is to be able to stand back and look at what you've done. But you didn't just write a check. I mean, you got in there and got your hands dirty. Presuming you had felt you had the capabilities to do everything it takes to build a layout, would you have had the time anyway? Hard to say, but if I had known how to do it, I would have done the whole thing by myself. Yeah, it just wasn't a a question of not having the ability. I mean, Ralph 
is a master model builder. I mean, the structures on my layout are just breathtaking to behold, frankly, and uh, I could never have done that. Well, who's to say? You're going to get another kick at the can, aren't you? We'll talk about that in a moment. In the book, you write of two uh, distinct faces of model railroading, uh, at least the ones you see the most. That's the engineers and the artists. And you visited noted model railroaders and wrote of the often strong uh, schisms between the operators and builders. Must that be? There is. I mean, it's remarkable. Uh, Tony Custer is so different than I am, let's say. His love of operation and the precision and the history of the, the, the line that he's modeling is all phenomenal. I mean, I have just the highest respect and affection for Tony and some of the other guys that I met along the way. John Pryke was terrific uh, to me. And, uh, yeah. You mentioned your visit to Malcolm Furlow, and he was quite passionate because as an artist, I think he felt his approach to model railroading, perhaps as yours, is, is not fully understood or appreciated by the engineering side of the hobby. That's right. Malcolm really... Uh, I sort of say that he has a definite chip on his shoulder. I'm not demeaning that in a negative way, but he feels that the artistic side of the thing is ignored or, or not given its proper credit, and I think he's right. He's a terrific model. His layout was absolutely breathtaking. Okay, some fun stuff. I laughed when I read this. You can tell a model railroader's interest in the hobby by his facial hair? Yeah, beards, for sure. I don't yeah. know why. It's statistically absolutely true. I what, don't know why, which why is, a, a model railroader would want to grow a beard, but there it is. But you say the, the, the guys with the facial hair tend more to the artistic side on average? That, that I'm not sure <laughs> of, of statistically. I think I winged it. Yeah, okay. Right, well, you also made an astute observation that many model railroaders you've met are firstborn sons. What's with that? Have you got any theories on that? Well, yeah, I think that is easily explained because I think the dad gets involved with his first son. He's He wants to do a layout himself, really, and so the first son comes along, and that's the excuse to do the layout. That's certainly the way it was for me. Now, I didn't read this quote directly, but I've been told that Rod Stewart said getting his layout published in Model Railroader was a bigger deal for him than making the cover of Rolling Stone. As someone who's well-known in your own right, how was it for you to be published in Model Railroader? I totally agree with him. I mean, I was so excited when the possibility arose that I might be doing an article about my layout in Model Railroader, and I never dreamed at that point that it would be a cover. And then suddenly it was a cover, and I can tell you that I waited so breathlessly for that issue to come out, and when it came out, I was so absolutely thrilled. I felt the same thrill that I felt the night uh, after my first race, where I dreamed of racing for so long and finally did a race. And this was just spectacular for me, and I... I remain frightfully and embarrassingly proud of those two covers that I have. Well, good on you. I read both articles. I'll tell you, I I enjoyed the the one where you did the artistic interpretation of the verticals and the scenery, by the way. You know, I I think it guided uh, me and a lot of others in in planning scenery. You mentioned now you're starting a new layout. Is this an exclusive, or is the news already out there that you're going to build a new layout? Jim, you've got an exclusive. I haven't talked about it with anybody yet. It's a Lionel layout based uh, on the equipment that I had as a kid that my mother saved for me. I have a friend locally here who restores Lionel equipment, and he did a beautiful job with this. And I'm building a a moderately large layout. The Lionel is so big that it's hard to... um, you know, the scale is so gigantic mm-hmm. compared to the HL that I really should have allowed more room, but mine layout's about 20 by 30 feet. Yeah. Well, knowing you, Sam, it won't be just any old Lionel layout. Have you got any artistic tricks that you're going to play on this thing? I have a few ideas, yeah. You know, Lionel, usually, uh, it's all about 
having a lot of trains running and a lot of accessories. And I'm bringing the scenery aspect of it to the forefront, and we'll see how that turns out. I've got one corner of it finished or nearly finished, and it looks pretty good. You'll have to have a chat with Neil Young. He's a guy I'd like to pin down because he's got a fantastic... Boy, isn't, yeah. he, isn't he fantastic? Yeah. I mean, what what a layout mm-hmm. for his son and uh, the, the Electrolux uh, vacuum cleaner part of it. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love his layout. <laughs> one last question, Sam, and again, it comes back to your view as an artist. People have heard this question asked before. I asked it of Alan McClelland, and uh, he, he had just regretted having to tear his layout up. But I'm going to ask it to you, since it looks like maybe the Colorado Midland is living out its last days. Uh, should layouts be perceived as permanent exhibits to outlast their builders? Or as an artist, do you see them as art installations only here for a short time? That's a really interesting question, and I don't think there's any pat answer to that. I have the luck to have a, a nice house, which I intend to live in the rest of my life, and there's no reason why the layout shouldn't continue to be in the basement and for occasional use and enjoyment. But at the same time, Tony Custer tore out his vastly superior and complex railroad in order to have the excitement of building another. I wanted to build another, so I built a garage to put it in. That's a little different approach, but I don't know what the answer is to that question, if in, if in fact there is an answer. Just one of those things to discuss around the water cooler, perhaps. Well, Sam, it's been a joy talking to you. I hope if I'm ever in the area, I can drop in and uh, visit your layout. Well, I would insist that you do. If you're anywhere nearby, I'd love to have you see it. Or better yet, you could take me for a high-speed drive. Well, <laughs> yes, my Corvette, which I just bought, is good for uh, about 140 in just a few seconds on these back roads. It's pretty impressive. I promise you my courage will give out before your skill. Well, Sam Posey, good luck with your new layout, and thanks for sharing your thoughts with us here on the Model Railway Show. Oh, it's a delight to talk about it and uh, and to talk with you, Jim. Great questions, and I, I wish you all the luck. Thanks, guys. Sam is a really modest and self-effacing guy for someone with such multiple talents. And insightful, too. Here's a quote from his book, maybe to encourage you to go out and find it and uh, buy it and read it. Building and operating model trains is essentially gratuitous behavior. Trains for the sake of trains. By and large, it is a solitary activity, and nothing comes of it. No product or service that could be described as useful to society in any conventional way. How's that for an outlier's view? Uh, that's probably a pretty good quote for getting some arguments started. It anyway, probably is. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, a few letters on that I, one. I just like the way Sam thinks. Anyway, uh, Trevor, how was your summer? You know, it was really good. I spent a lot of time working on my layout, played with the dogs a lot, uh, ran a little bit of live steam in the garden, and just generally enjoyed the weather. How about well, you? Well, unlike you, I just could not get interested in picking up any model railroad tools, so it's been kind of a social summer for me. I've actually run into a lot of our previous interviews, starting with the Ottawa train show. I ran into Jason Schron, Tim Warris, Chris Lyon, Peter Cunningham, Mike Hamer, and Claire Gilbert. They were all there. And then a little later on, I took a drive down to Wilmington, North Carolina to visit some friends and stopped in at the train museum there where Mark Koenig is the curator. And of course, he was on the show with the world's longest train. And I just got back from an NASG convention in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I had a delightful chat with Dick Carnes, who was one of our early uh, interviews as well. So it's been a social summer for me, but nothing too productive on the model railroad in front of me, shame to say. Well, you've become the face of the model railway show, haven't you? Well, yes. 
Yes, my bare face hanging out in here all over my head. That's it. So, what's up next? Well, it's your turn. That's what's up next. Uh, you're going to be welcoming a guest who's not only an accomplished modeler, but also a good friend. Back on show number eight, uh, which you can find on Train Life's website, uh, Trevor talked with Torontonian Jeffrey Young, who writes the live steam column for Garden Railways magazine. Well, Jeffrey is not the only live steam modeler in the family. Here's Trevor with his wife, Don Brightwell. When we launched the Model Railway Show, we promised to bring you interviews with interesting people who have interesting perspectives on this great hobby. My guest today is a great example of this. Don Brightwell is a garden-scale live steam enthusiast, an accomplished model builder, and a great spokesperson for the hobby. I've run live steam with her at the Doors Open Toronto event over the past few years, and I'm always impressed by how easily she engages with the public. She has a knack for explaining how live steam locomotives work, how she builds things, and the joys of running steam trains in the garden. If the model railway hobby is to continue to grow, we can all use a bit of this magic. So, to share some of that enthusiasm, I'm pleased to welcome Don to the Model Railway Show. Thanks for joining me today, Don. My pleasure, Trevor. Let's start with your background. How did you get into the hobby? Did you have other hobbies before model railroading, or how did you get going? I've always been a hobby person. I enjoy making things. I enjoy collecting things, joining clubs of like-minded people. But as for trains, I had no background whatsoever. I was walking through a newsstand and browsing magazines and and spotted an issue of Garden Railways and started laughing. And I thought, enough people do that to support a magazine? But I ended up browsing the magazine and buying the magazine, and that's how I ended up getting into the hobby. Now, were you interested in gardening before that? So is that what got you to look at it? Okay, okay. Yeah. So I guess it was always live steam for you, or did you initially look at doing things with electric trains in the garden? Or Well, I didn't know about live steam at first. I started looking around, looking at the hobby, looking through the magazines, and I went to a train show, a Great American Train Show out in Washington State where I was living and was looking at everything, trying to get a feel for what was available and just wasn't taken by the electric things. They just didn't catch me. And as I was heading toward the door, I came across two fellows with a plane raised loop and no trains running. And they, they said, oh, wait, 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 we're, we're steaming up right now. And I paused and they raised steam. And, um, and as soon as I saw it, I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. So what is it then about the live steam that just grabbed you like that. You're really running a train. Fair enough. And, and, and we've certainly, we, we've talked about how each locomotive has its own personality, that if you're steaming one engine and then you steam another one, even if it's the same model from the same manufacturer, they can have their own unique characteristics. Is that part of the fun for you, learning the, the locomotives that way? Absolutely. Part of it for me is the challenge of running the locomotive. And as you say, no two engines will run exactly the same. And in fact, an engine that you know and love will run different under different conditions, under different weather conditions, hauling a different load. So there's a real intellectual challenge to that that appeals to me. During the summer, they steam completely differently than in the fall, and humidity plays a role in everything else, doesn't it? Oh, very much so, yes. Now, you've built a lot of rolling stock, and you're often very creative in your approach. I know the last time I was over at your place, you were showing us the uh, slate quarry wagon that you built, <laughs> where you've, you've chopped your own slate to put into it. Yes. What is it that you enjoy about doing that sort of thing? Well, I've, as I said, I've always enjoyed making things. It doesn't matter what it is, a building, outbuildings, real-scale outbuildings. 
sewing. It doesn't matter. I do stained glass work. I've just always enjoyed making things. And so this is just another outlet for that and very enjoyable. I, I can get as detailed as I want. I can be as simple as I want. I have to say, I do follow the 10-foot rule. Since the joy for me is really the running of the trains, I don't want to build anything that is so fiddly, fussy, delicate that I have to be very, very careful with it. It has to be fairly robust. And so I take that into account. And one of the, the nice things about the scale that I model in is you can actually build things in a fairly prototypical manner. So you're using wood and metal and bolts and screws. And, and so that's really quite nice. You can make them quite robust and get enough level of detail that they really do represent the prototype. They're almost prototypes in themselves because the, the scale is so large, isn't it? Yes. I love the Darjeeling tea train that you're building, and I suspect that you're doing it in part to enjoy the reaction of the over-serious members <laughs> of the hobby. Uh, tell me about that project. Well, that's one of those that just sort of came to me pretty much a whole as, a, as an idea. I was on my way home from the big annual steam up in Diamond Head, Mississippi in 2003, I believe. And this idea just came into my head and I started scribbling down notes and drawing little pictures. And the idea is to have a whimsical train, nothing whatsoever to do with any prototype, a whimsical train that would heat water for tea and serve tea as the train is trundling around a railway. It's very much like a Roland Demet design. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a, just a, but there's a, a real joy in that. Now, have you shown any parts of this to people? Have, they, have you gotten reactions from people yet? I haven't really shared it much yet. I kind of want to wait until it's, it's completed and roll it out there and, and see what kind of a reaction it gets. <laughs> we'll see. It's been quite fun. The learning how to create the things that I wanted to create and, and, and this, again, is a big part of the appeal for me in the hobby. I took a jewelry making class to learn how to do the metal work and silver soldering and things like that, torch work. And that was a lot of fun. Everyone else there was learning to make jewelry. And I said, well, I'm learning to make trains. And they looked at me funny, but then they understood. It's been a lot of fun gathering the different skills that I've, I've had in the past, the woodworking skills, and then learning new skills. The silver soldering to create a vessel in which I can boil water to make tea. Now, mind you, it doesn't need to be steam tight, pressure tight, so that makes it a lot easier. But that's been the most challenging part of this project. But on, on the other hand, it has to be human grade, too. The water that comes <laughs> out has to be something we can drink. So, Well, you know, steamers aren't too picky. Oh, well, there you go. Now, <laughs> as I mentioned off the top, I, I think you do a wonderful job of expressing your love for the hobby to the general public, and I'm sure that our listeners are, are hearing that in our conversation so far. But what is it you enjoy about talking to people who are not in the hobby about the live steam hobby or about model railroading in general? At a show like Doors Open, if people are not interested at all, they're just going to walk by. So you can let them do that. If they pause, if something catches their eye, then there is obviously something there that interests them. So... The trick, the desire for me is to find out where they are. What is it that it, that made them stop and then meet them at that place and explain as much or as little as they care to know about the hobby. Now, those who don't understand the hobby often dismiss it as a bunch of old guys playing with toy trains. Obviously, you, you don't fit that mold. But uh, when you talk to the general public, do you run into that perception and, and how do you tackle that? Of course. And a lot of the people who will come talk to me, and this is this is 
something I've noticed over the course of about 10, 12 years doing this is men who perhaps are completely know nothing about this hobby. They may not feel comfortable approaching a man about it, but they'll kind of sidle up to me and say, okay, what's the deal here? What's going on with these? How do they make the smoke? You know, and I said, well, that's actually steam. This is a steam powered locomotive. And they feel more comfortable talking with me. Also, we get a lot of wives and kids who, uh, daughters who have been drugged to a train show by the spouse. And they're maybe bored or maybe the facet of the hobby that interests their husband doesn't interest them, but they'll see a gal and they'll come over and say, okay, hey, what's the deal? What are you doing here? This is, this is, doesn't look like anything I've seen before. So I get the chance to explain to them, oh, well, you know, these are live steam locomotives. We're actually boiling water here, burning fuel, boiling water, and they function exactly like a real steam locomotive, just smaller. And if they're interested, I, I go into more detail and and if their eye has been caught because they like something at, about this, obviously, then you use that as a hook. Do you enjoy making things? Do you enjoy the mechanical aspect? Do you enjoy gardening? You, you find out what it is that has brought them in and meet them there. I guess just the very fact that they come in, some of them may not even have realized that this is a hobby that they could be interested in because it is such a male-dominated, you know, old guy hobby. And, and exactly. so you yeah. change the perception right away by being exactly. out there and talking to them. You are unusual in the hobby because you're a woman. As we've said, it's predominantly a male pastime. I know a number of people who would like to find ways to change that. And we're always talking about how do we get more people into the hobby who don't fit that stereotype. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Any, any suggestions on how to encourage others to take up the hobby and, and join us old guys? <laughs> You need to be, obviously need to be engaging, be willing to talk with people no matter where they're at. It helps, uh, you know, if you have any sense of being a teacher in you, that helps. I know when small children are at these shows, they feel more comfortable around me a lot of the times. You know, I like little kids, so it's easy for me to engage them. Then you get to talking with the family and explain how, oh, well, yeah, we just have a raised loop here at the show, but normally we're running out in the yard. This is a a garden thing and talk about those facets of the hobby and how it is a really good hobby for families. You can bring in the plant aspect, the yard, the garden, the trains. You can, if you have small children, obviously you want to be very careful around steam, but you can bring in battery-powered Thomas stuff that is robust and that the kids can use in the garden and get them involved as well. And you just see their eyes open because the garden railway hobby is obscure enough as it is. And then you throw in live steam and not many people know about it. So it's a lot of fun to explain the possibilities to folks. And I guess it really is one of those aspects of the hobby that everybody can feel they're getting involved in. And if it's done right, it enhances the backyard and becomes a a center of focus for a family, doesn't it? It sure can be. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're talking to people who aren't in the hobby and you're either talking to men at doors open or women or maybe talking to people who are in couples or families is there a different approach you take to this do they do they tend to come to you with different types of questions or 
some, but not a lot. Either they have some awareness, more often the men, they'll have some background of, of trains. Maybe they had trains as, as a child. The women, frequently they're coming, it's just a blank slate to them. And you start talking about the possibilities and it really opens things up. And what I like to say to women is the hobby at this scale is like doing dollhouse things. If you like to make things and you have a historical bent or a creative bent, it's exactly like that. You're picking a time and a place before you even buy anything. You're deciding, is it going to be fancy? Is it going to be workhorse? What is it you're going to have, build, create? And then you just make sure that all of the things you bring into it meet those criteria. But the fun thing about trains is you can get the whole family involved. It's animated. The things move around. And with stuff, live steam, of course, sooner or later, something catches on fire. So that's always fun. So, <laughs> Yes, it certainly is, especially with some of those ones that burn with the invisible flame. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great fun. Maybe we'll avoid those for the new people to the hobby. <laughs> now, and you just touched on an interesting point that many people, women and men, are already doing construction hobbies such as dollhouse building or woodworking. And they're often avid gardeners, too. So I guess this is a, a way to combine all of those various interests into something, into a, a hobby that pulls all those different talents in, isn't it? Absolutely. If they have any inclination at all towards trains, this draws in so many different things. That is another facet that appealed to me. Uh, when I first got involved, my daughter was about five or six years old, and I was looking, you know, I only had so many hours in the day, so I'm always trying to look at things that'll do double and triple duty, and this is a hobby, I thought. Wow, fun for me. A lot of teachable moments for my young daughter. History, geography, physics, mathematics, scale, plants, all kinds of things that you can bring them in as much or as little as each of those parts of the hobby appeal to you. So there's a lot of variety in how you can manifest the Garden Railway hobby, and, and that's great. Now, we also should give listeners a caveat here, especially if they're new to the hobby and they're listening to this. You've started volunteering at the Railway Museum in downtown Toronto, giving rides to the public on the seven and a quarter inch gauge railway at Roundhouse Park. And I understand you're doing this because you're working towards your boiler certificate so that you can run live steam locomotives on the line. So there is this warning that you get into this and it can be so addictive that it really does become a lifestyle, doesn't it? can be. It can be. Okay. Uh, why are you pursuing the... It's a incredible lifestyle. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Why are you going after the boiler certificate for the larger stuff? What's the attraction there? Well, okay. This is sort of a just in case. When husband and I retire, if in fact we end up back in the Washington State Puget Sound region, there's a lovely locomotive back there that's sort of just idle and gathering dust. And if it's in the fates for us to end up back there, it would be nice to see if there's any way to get that locomotive back alive and on the rails. And that actually was my motivation right there. So the best way to do that is to really get the training you need in order to tackle a project like that. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Yep. Now, you've mentioned your daughter a couple of times, Kat. Uh, she also volunteers and runs trains at the museum. Uh, are trains in the Brightwell blood? Is she going to be doing garden railways in her lifetime? <laughs> Uh, 
it isn't so much trains that are in in the blood as quirky curiosity. Mm. So she's a transit nerd, uh, as we all are in this family, and she appreciates trains. She has, through the hobby, actually, uh, through our involvement, my involvement, she grew up with a real passion for history, and uh, I think that's the direction she'll take ultimately, history and architecture. But uh, she she appreciates the trains. She loves the trains. She also is good with people. So that runs in the family. It's a good thing for her and for you. And of course, a great thing for the hobby to have people who are this enthusiastic and this outgoing. Uh, So Don, it's been great talking to you today. And thanks for joining us on the Model Railway Show to talk about your passion for live steam model railways. Well, thank you, Trevor. Thanks, folks. What an engaging hobby for the whole family to enjoy. Now, before we head out of here, Trevor and I would like to remind all you folks out there to visit our website, themodelrailwayshow.com, for interesting links to this and all of our previous shows. You can find us all the way back to our debut by going to the Train Life website. And while you're noodling around our website, don't forget to visit the Flickr gallery, where you can view photos our guests have shared with us. And you can also find us on Facebook. And don't forget, with a free podcast subscription, you can hear us on iTunes, podcast.com, or podfeed.net. Well, on our next show, I'll be dialing Denmark to chat with the great Pele Soeborg about modeling the Union Pacific from an ocean away. And I'll talk to Ian Plett, a Manitoba trucker who has an around-the-walls layout in his big rig sleeper. Thanks to our well-rested crew, webmaster Otto Vondrak, musical genius Dave Woodhead, and our tech guy Chris Abbott. For Jim Martin, I'm Trevor Marshall. Thanks for joining us here on The Model Railway Show. Mm-hmm.